Back again for more fun? It's episode 79 of the Planet LP Podcast. I'm Ted Asfragadu. Thanks, as always, for taking the time to listen to the pod. Do you ever feel that you're kind of stuck in a musical rut? By that, I mean you tend to gravitate to what can be called comfort food music. These are records that are likely the same records you've listened to between the ages of 12 and 25. If you're over 40, or maybe even over 30, you probably listen to the eras of music that defined your tastes as a young person. Now, there's some science to back up this claim. Years ago, 2006 to be exact, I interviewed a guy named Daniel Levington. He's a neuroscientist who wrote a compelling book called This Is Your Brain on Music. Daniel grew up in the Bay Area, Lafayette, California, if you want the footnote, but he was also involved in the 415 record label back in the 1980s. 415 is the area code for San Francisco if you're needing another footnote for small talk about music. Well, what Daniel found through his studies on the human brain is that from the ages of 12 to 25, our brains are open to new experiences, including music. After 25, our brains start to build up walls of sorts that make us less open to new experiences like music from other eras. So with that in mind, I wanted to try an experiment of sorts. So I called up my friend and former podcasting partner, John Young, to see if he wanted to play along. And he says, I'm absolutely in. So what's the experiment? It's really simple. One of his sons and my daughter, both Gen Z 20-somethings, recommended an album to listen to. But not just a cursory listen. Nope. We really had to spend some time with the record and let it grow on us. Would we come away from the experience with the kind of zeal for new music that we had when we were teens and 20-somethings? Well, that's what we're going to find out in this episode, which I'm calling Listening Without Prejudice. If you haven't already, give Planet LP a follow or a like on social media. We're on Threads, Groupie, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Also, I've been making some YouTube videos that are kind of standalone Planet LP extras. You can subscribe at Ted Asregadu. You can always email me at ted at planetlp.com. Subscribe to Planet LP and all the usual podcasting apps, or just go to planetlp.com and have a listen there. Okay, I think we're ready and steady to go. John Young is here. It feels like home. Aww. It feels like podcast home in a way. It's great to be back with you, Ted. Thanks for inviting me into your kooky musical experimental um it's like the laboratory here it feels uh it feels like it's going to be kind of fun we may learn something today all we need is white coats at this point right just to be in the lab just to make sure that we're part of the experiment maybe not maybe your maybe your son and my daughter need to have the lab coats on and they, they're watching us or something well as long as we have the little name tags that go on the the white lab coat i feel a little bit more like it's personalized hey nice to see you Nice to see you, John. For those who are longtime listeners to the podcast, you all know John Young. Newer listeners, meet John Young. He's the host of The Morning Show on 95.3 KUIC in Vacaville, California. We've been friends since 2005, 2006, when I used to do news and traffic on KKIQ's morning show. Now, both stations are owned by the same company. So, you know, we saw each other at company get-togethers and found, hey, I like you. I think we're friends now. And that's kind of how it started. It didn't take long. And we I think one of the things that I've always appreciated about our friendship is we have a lot of the same cultural reference points. We were born in the same year within about two weeks of one another. Mm -hmm. Our our 
our love of Kiss as as you know teens or early preteens and whatnot in the late seventies. We both shared that. We have a lot of those those points along the continuum up to here we are in our late fifties that that we can go. You know what? I I felt that same way too, or I saw that same way too. You were growing up in the Bay Area. I was down there in Southern California, but clearly we found we found a symbiotic thing that just worked pretty much from the minute we met each other and it continues today. I know. And I'm so grateful for our friendship and the fact that after one call, I say, Hey, would you like to be on the podcast? Here's the idea I've been spitballing. I'm in. <laughs> of course. Of course. Talking about the book that you were just bringing up the whole, uh, your, this is your brain on music. Mm-hmm. Cause I've got a theory I want to share as we get deeper into this thing about why I, I think I'm such a putz when it comes to trying to enjoy new music. Uh, but we'll get to that eventually because I know you, we've got homework and you've got a way you like to have this done. But I, I really put some thought into that side of it as I'm listening to my homework and really trying to not only just listen for fun or listen passively, but really try to get into it. And I'm, I'm starting to recognize some things about my 58-year-old self that I don't know if they're good, but at least I'm recognizing them. That's the beginning of treatment, by the way, is admitting you have a problem. Oh, shoot. We have problems now. <laughs> Oh my gosh. So so I sketched the experiment slash challenge our kids set up for us. And we both have our albums that we've spent a lot of time with. But before we get into the weeds, I have to start the conversation about the group Extreme. They have a new album out and it's been featured on the new music report here on the Planet LP podcast with Keith Creighton. However, I confess to John over the phone that I've never really listened to any other Extreme albums, including Extreme 2, which was also called Porno Graffiti. That came out on August 7th, 1990. So they're coming up on their anniversary. And they had a huge ballot with this song called More Than Words. So having that song as the big one was a big head fake because the other songs on the album are big, bold rockers. It's kind of like buying Some Girls by the Rolling Stones because you like the disco vibe of Miss You. And then you hear the rest of the album, you're like, hey, where's all that disco music gone? <laughs> yeah. What's this whole, when the whip comes down, what's going on there, huh? Yeah, Come on now. Exactly. But oh, John, you had a kind of, wait, really? Moment with this record and your dad. And yeah. I just love the story when you sketch it. I said, you got to tell this on the podcast. So the well, floor I- is yours, my friend. I will try to make it quick and and fun without leaving out the juicy details. But that album, as soon as you started talking about porno graffiti or extreme two, whatever you want to call it, I just remember more than words dominating the airwaves. I think it went to number one on, on the Billboard charts. It was huge. You couldn't escape the fall of ninety or the you know spring of nineteen ninety one without hearing that song. Mm-hmm. And so at that time, my father was getting ready to remarry his uh, his wife, my stepmom Judy, and they were planning their wedding, and and it was going to be in Dana Point where we grew up out there on the beach and somebody had recommended to my dad, Hey, there's a song called more than words. I think it'd be perfect for, you know, part of your wedding ceremony. It's, it's got the right vibe. It's this great acoustic. It's by some band called extreme. I don't know what that is, but yeah. Anyway. So the guy, my dad's buddy who thought this would be a good song for their wedding, loaned him the cassette of porno graffiti, you mm-hmm. know, so we could have that song handy. <laughs> and then, so my, my dad puts it in, uh, you know, in the cassette deck at home and they're listening for more than words, which I don't think is the first song on the record. My dad, who was, you know, was born in 1940. I mean, he's the same age as John Lennon and, you know, a few years older than, you know, Jim Morrison and Jimi Hendrix. So, I mean, it's not like he doesn't understand rock and roll. He was 18 when Elvis was doing his thing in high school and whatnot. My dad winds up 
totally falling in love with all of the wrong songs on this record in a big way. So when, when we're all coming over to the house to help get the wedding dialed in and stuff, and, and uh, someone says, yeah, your dad's going to have uh, that band extreme there. He's going to play one of their, one of their songs uh, for the wedding. And I'm thinking, okay, here comes more than words. How mm-hmm. appropriate is this? And my dad says, no, 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 come here, John, you got to have you, have you heard this whole record yet? And I'm just like you're admitting, I hadn't heard, all I'd heard is more than words. I hadn't paid right. attention to this record in 30 something years. He goes, Go go put on little Jack Horny. Yeah, little Jack Horny. That's it. You gotta, this guy's rocking. I mean, you got you gotta love these guys. Rewind it. Go back to little Jack Horny. Now, my dad's nickname is Jack, so the whole thing is uncomfortable beyond belief. Like, come on, Dad. Aunt Sue is around here. Do you really want to have little Jack Horny playing this? Live? We're trying to get you ready for your wedding. Come on, Jack. <laughs> It made me recognize that the, oftentimes when you walk away from a record for a while, or in you know, this case, you're, you're being assigned a new record to listen to with fresh ears, you don't realize that album has very little to do with more than words. It's, it it's, really a, does, it's a rockin'. Yeah. It's allegedly, if you listen to uh, to uh, Gary Sharon and uh, Nuno Betancourt talk about the record, they'll tell you was it's about the loss of innocence and this and that. It's supposed to be a down and dirty, gritty record with a little acoustic number thrown in, maybe to get you on the charts, baby. But <laughs> yeah, play some more of that little Jack Horny. Dad, I don't. If you <laughs> I'm going to run out of this house. I'm not going to attend your wedding. You got to stop saying that. It's making me uncomfortable. I, I mean, it's like we're all horny, Dad. I get it. You know, I'm. 26, but I don't need to hear how you're getting married. We assume that. Now, do we need to let's go back to more than words? I'd rather hear the dulcet tones there than that little groovy beat to Little Jack Horny. I can't even say it anymore with that sort of a. I I'm, I'm turning a bit red, Ted. <laughs> now, come on, John. We're sitting down for dinner. I'm not hungry anymore. I'm just not hungry. <laughs> Where's John? He's in his room. He's he's pouting. He's upset at something. Anyway, listen. <laughs> he's got his hands in his head saying, I can't get this image out of my mind. Dad, what did you do? <laughs> Dad's shouting over this crowded you know, reception. Can't play little Jack Horny again. <laughs> anyway. The new Extreme album, I think, is pretty good. It's, the production-wise, I had some issues with it because I didn't think it was that good as far as the, the way they produced it. But yeah, if you want to, if you want to, Balls of the Walls rocker album. Yeah, get Extreme Six. Most of the people that I know who are music journalists, they're loving the album. I, they really do. And I've, I've listened to it a, a few times. And I think it's pretty straight ahead rock and I really enjoyed it. Except for the what, there was one song towards the end. It's like, what? Where did this come from? It's like this weird, almost reggae thing that they're doing. I'm like, no, no, don't do that. That's just like- Stay in your lane, boys. Stay in your lane. Exactly. As we get into the experiment that our children set up for us, John and I were tasked, challenged, asked, probably all three, to listen without prejudice to albums. Mine was Taylor Swift's Speak Now, Taylor's version, and that recently was released. And John, what was your uh, what was your recommendation? I was tasked with listening to Madison Cunningham's Revealer record that was released last September yes. by my son Brett. I will just give you the recommendation that he texted me and said, dad, quote, incredible guitar lines, some funky tunings, but still with a pop feel. No sleepers on this album. Love, wow. Brett. I love Brett. I like he's for love, Brett. Yeah, a good son. Yeah, that's what I, you know, I, I went, okay, well, Spotify hooked me up and, and, and went from there. We have a lot of songs to talk about. You have 11 songs on Revealer, but mine is like 22 songs. Good Lord. <laughs> you can give me a sense, can't you? Because I, I can give you a sense of my record. I, I can. I literally, I mean, yes, every song is different. Every song's got, I mean, she's got time 
signature stuff she's doing and obviously uh, tunings and crazy stuff and a lot mm-hmm. of great guitar work but there's a sense there's a feeling from this record i get after a couple of listens one in a more casual way and one in a more deep dive way so i, I don't know can you pull that from the taylor swift record was there an overall arching feel you got from those 38 songs or is it just really <laughs> the overall feeling is you know how much i love the group rush i thought oh my god she's recorded way more music than rush ever did on one album you know <laughs> Wow. <laughs> it's a lot. I mean, it's just 20, 22 songs. That's an amazing amount. And I know this is the re-record and the original release had 14 songs plus the deluxe edition, which had some extras thrown in if you bought that. But this one has songs from her vault as well. So because I have so many and you have well half that, we'll go back and forth, but I'll I'll, uh, I'll be brief on mine and I'll let you go longer on yours. So. I don't know how long I need to go on this. I, I do need to mention one thing though. This was, uh, it's pretty funny. I got a review of this record by mm-hmm. a guy I know. I trust him, music fan, and knows a lot about music. His name is Ted Azragadu, who wrote no. a review of this record <laughs> because it was one of your favorite records. And I, I quote, one listen to Revealer will lay bare the fact that Cunningham is an accomplished guitarist whose unique style tends to favor melodic yet somewhat dissonant triplets in her playing. The effect of this style of playing is that it engenders a slightly uncomfortable feeling for the listener, end quote. Hmm. That guy that seems like is, he's going places. He's going places. <laughs> Just like my son, Brett, again, I'll read it. Incredible guitar lines, some funky tunings, but still with a pop feel. No sleepers on this album. I find it incredibly, maybe spooky, that you and my son took the same things to some degree from Mm. this record. So to be honest, before I listened to it, that stuff was stuck in my head a little bit. Like, I'm ready. Show me some crazy tunings, Madison Cunningham, if that's your real name. (laughs) (laughs) She has an interesting background. I know she's a American singer. Uh, she's 25 or 26. I guess her father was an Episcopal preacher. She's She grew up in the church singing. So she has a background, a vocal background, but then became quite an accomplished guitar player too. So that's, mm-hmm. that's kind of my setup. So I went in there with your take on it, with my son's take, with the idea that she is a guitar player by and singer, having grown up doing that. So I was ready. That's when I sat down to really dissect this record. Right. Right. So your first song out of the gate, what did you think? I was impressed with the tempo and the three-fourth time signature that the song All I've Ever Known is recorded in. It's hard not to to be jarred a little bit when you don't hear a song in four four and for you know I know we on this podcast we've talked a lot about breaking down how music's done and you know mm-hmm. four four tempos and three four tempos and whatnot. But when a tempo is not just one two three four, your, your head kind of goes eh, wait what happened? There's an extra note. There's an extra beat. There's something else happening. Her vocals, I thought, were on the first track anyway, didn't necessarily blow my mind. It wasn't as if she was, you know, singing in four or five octaves or something that was crazy, but it's a strong vocal voice and, and it, it's a strong song. That transitions into the song Hospital, which yeah. as soon as I heard that one, I heard a lot of Cheryl Crow sounding yes. almost distorted guitar based folk. Cheryl Crow is one of those signposts that you go to for that kind of sound. You know what I'm talking about? A distorted guitar, but still with a folk-based vibe to it. And she sounds a little bit like Sheryl Crow on Hospital as well. She does. So, she does. I'm, I'm a big fan of Sheryl Crow's. I just like her songwriting. I like her guitar playing and her bass playing. She's like Madison Cunningham. She's a multi-instrumentalist. And also the theme of Hospital is, is a little creepy and, and fun. 
So the first two songs out of the gate, oh, wow, we've got interesting timing and tempo. That's cool. Then all of a sudden, we've got a Sheryl Crow thing, which for a listener like me, again, old guy stuck in his ways, was like, ooh, you're bringing me into the party. I don't feel so excluded. That's what got me comfortable towards the rest of the album. I'll just end it on those two songs for right this minute. But I got two songs in. I'm thinking, all right, Madison, you got my attention. Let's see what you can do. Yeah, so the first song made you a little bit uncomfortable with that three-four time and even the guitar sound and but but I knew it was it was just, it was designed that way. So I'm trying to think of it that way. You know, she's not trying to cover ACDC here. I get it. So I'm 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 ready for you to send me some tinny production or you know that's done on purpose and the vocals may be almost Beck like you're doing some weird stuff with, the, with your microphones in the studio and processing them a certain way. I was ready, but when the Cheryl Crow tune, sounding tune Hospital came on, I went listen. I'm listening now. I'm in. And maybe that's a reflection of what I'm used to hearing and the comfort level I have with certain chord progressions, Mm -hmm. which I'll get into later. That may be of what brought me to more of a sit down and now pay a little closer attention. All right. So my first two songs out of the gate are Mine, which was a single and did really well for her. And I think as a single, it was pretty solid. But I never really listened too carefully to this song when it was played on the radio until I had to really do the deep listen because of our experiment that we're doing right now. And she writes this great lyric. She being Taylor Swift writes this great lyric that said, you made a rebel of a careless man's careful daughter. Now she wrote the song between 18 and 20 years old. It just that lyric. You made a rebel of a careless man's careful daughter. I was like, wow, that's really impressive. That lyric alone made me appreciate Taylor Swift as a lyric writer. I thought there's no way I could have ever written anything at 18, between 18 and 20 that good. It would have been like, um, well, a song I'm working on right now. It's called Heat Pump. (laughs) Uh, Let me just quickly, Ted, I don't know who, who was responsible for this quote, so I won't quote it, but I will say that there is something floating around on the internet, someone Google it, where someone has compared Taylor Swift's writing to Shakespeare. And they were oh, not really? kidding. Okay. They said, based on, I think, exactly what you're getting at, which is for the age she was when she wrote some of these original lyrics. And again, she's writing her own songs, everybody. This is not, you know, sending out to the, you know, the songwriting company and having them come in and here's how we want you to do it. These are her lyrics. And and someone made the point, I wish I knew who it was, who said, this is very, this is very bard-like. She's using comparisons and yeah. the kind of things that Shakespeare did to make you go, oh, God, well, with just two or three words, you understand a, a bigger picture. Does that make sense? Another, the, the same way Shakespeare would, he had a line that could mean so much and it went so much longer than the actual number of letters and words that were included in the sentence or the statement. And I feel like she does do that. That's a great example of one, but not the only one. If right, you listen right. to it a little deeper, you're going to go, yeah, this has got a nice country rock or pop feel, but the lyrics are not throwaway. I mean, I love even her throwaway lyrics. I love yeah. some of the, you know, you know, you need to calm down. One of my favorite songs ever, you know, come on, you homophobic losers. You need to calm down. It's just, it's, it's awesome. And, and there, there's something about that that just it kind of gives you hope that it isn't, everything isn't just like ear candy. There's more to it. Yeah. The, the whole, the contrast between careless man's careful daughter and then yes. rebel. Yeah. It's really great. I mean, it's just like, geez. Dude, uh, I'm going to go by Taylor's version of the album. And, and I know I was trying to explain to my wife, Meg today, the difference between, you know, why she had to go and re-record those albums. And we got mm-hmm. so far in the week. I'm sure I didn't do a good job of it, but yes, these are, 
These are the original songs from the original record, plus more, but they're re-recorded, not necessarily reimagined, right? But there's a real difference between this album and the other one, the original one it came from. They're not carbon copies of one another. For those who are Taylor Swift fans, they already know, but Speak Now came out in 2010. So this is the re-record that she's doing. And she gets essentially the, when you re-record it, you own the copyright and that's how she's trying to do it instead of the label that she was with prior to that. So the the second song is called Sparks Fly. It's not as impressive as mine, the first song, as far as the lyrics go. I think it's sweet about being in love and having a big crush on someone. And I guess I could sum it up in two words. It's fine. And that's kind of how I felt about it. I don't know if it rivals heat pump. The song. (laughs) Would Would you like to hear a little bit of heat pump? Actually, I was just going to ask if you would do that. If you've got the time, if you will uh, humor me. Yes, I'd like to hear a little bit of heat pump. So let me give you a backstory on heat pump a little bit. I was listening to NPR and they were talking about how at the time Germany was having trouble with energy. They were having a bit of an energy crisis because of the war in Ukraine. So a lot of people were coming off of uh, trying to transition from natural gas to these things called heat pumps. And I thought, that's funny, heat pump. And I kept thinking, that sounds like a Kraftwerk song, heat pump. And I can't do a very good German accent. So I thought, oh, wait, AI is everywhere. What if I wrote the lyrics out and had AI essentially do the German voice? And I found an AI program that would do a German voice. And I loaded it up into the um, sound bar here. And now I shall play it. And hopefully it plays for John Young and for all of you. It is heat pump. I love my little heat pump. It keeps me very warm. I love my little heat pump. From dusk to dawn. My little heat pump. It's my only friend. My little heat pump. With me until the end. You are so weird. I mean, I love you, man, but you are just one of the weirdest cats I know. Why didn't you have me play guitar on that? I, I love the lyric. I love that. This is the part on Spruck, it's where we dance guy. I mean, that's beautiful, but you need that. You're four chords away from a, from at least a, a Kraftwerks B-side. I told my daughter, I said, that's retirement money right there. That's going to number one in Germany. You know it. <laughs> Austria, just, uh, just, just hit number seven. That's awesome. Behind now, Once again, here comes heat pump. You're a beautiful but weird man. That's all I can And say. that's why you love me. That's why you love me. <laughs> I love you. Um, I will, I'll, I'll speed things up a little bit because yes, speaking please. of weird, speaking of weird, and I'm going to cover every song in depth here. Anywhere is the song, is the next song on Madison Cunningham's Revealer record. Um, it is in 7 8 time signature. Wow. And again, believe it or not, is what Pink Floyd's Money is in that same boom, bing, boom, 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 ding, boom, bing, boom, boom. But she doesn't have the same bass line, but the idea is the same. It's, it's oh my God, where is that thing going to stop? Oh, there's the, there it is. By this point, I'm getting more impressed with how she's putting songs together rather than, okay, you're being weird for weird sake. And I just don't get it because I'm a crusty old dude who, you know, likes Kiss's first four albums. And what am I doing here? All of a sudden I'm thinking, that took a lot of work because I'm listening to the to her backing musicians, the bass player and the drummer and all this that are following this thing. Now, obviously, they're doing it in the studio. It's not a live record. You would agree. You reviewed this record, Ted. It's It's got a little bit of a raw sound to it. It doesn't mm-hmm. sound, let's say, like a polished Taylor Swift record, for lack of a better way yeah. to describe it. Yeah, yeah. There's something that says, wow, they might have gone into a studio and cut some of this stuff live. It has a little of that feeling, which I love. To me, that says... We're good. We believe in what we're doing. We don't need to overproduce this or bring in 25 session musicians to get a seven, eight time song like anywhere, right? We're going to do it. And it had that vibe to it. So now I'm listening. 
Sunshine Over the Counter follows. Even if I didn't love some of the songs on this record, or they're not so in my DNA now that I can't wait to go listen to them all the time, you got to give Madison Cunningham credit. Her song titles are some of the best ever. And if titles, like sometimes people are into craft beer because they love the label. Hey, have you tried, you know, Dragon Piss? I mean, look at this thing. It's so good. <laughs> when you have song titles like Sunshine Over the Counter or Collider Particles, your hate could power a train. I mean, my notes to myself are, I just love this title. I mean, this song could be absolutely C plus and I don't care. I got to play it for my friends. Your hate could power a train. Yeah. You jerk. The final song on the record is a tune called Sarah and the silent crowd. I know you know, because you reviewed it, right. but when I heard this and again, I heard it once with my wife and I just hanging out by the pool and just having it in the background to see how we like the whole vibe, you know, it's 107 in Roseville. We're like, let's just get in the pool. Let's put the record on. I started to hear little hints of Indigo Girls. I heard little hints of Lisa Loeb, the influence maybe of proud singer songwriters who do not need to be processed to get their point across. Mm -hmm. They don't need a lot of glitz or glam on top of it. And I know she's a single singer. Um, I don't, you know, she has backup folks that are doing some work on this album, but this really is her. And I started to have this vibe of not only just Sheryl Crow and a more mainstream kind of thing, but some of the more less mainstream, more or less mainstream. Yeah, that's me. Sorry. <laughs> Ding myself. <laughs> less mainstream types of female artists and female songwriters. I mean, Tracy Chapman wrote stuff like this. I, I know she's young. I don't know how much th those older artists influenced her, but you can hear it in this record to me anyway. That's that, that was my takeaway as I look at all these tracks together. And I don't think many of them diverged. I don't, you may disagree, but I don't, there wasn't a ton of things on this particular record that went completely off base after hospital. You do hospital and you run down the list there other than a seven, eight time signature. And I thought, no, these are all kind of, they've settled into a groove. There's a little distortion here and there to keep a guitar player like me interested in it. Mm -hmm. But there was a, there was a cohesion to this record. And I think my son Brett was right when he said, there's no sleepers on this album. I didn't hear anything that made me go, oh, why did they put that on the record? Come on. You've mm -hmm. got 11 tracks. You could have cut that out. Yeah. You know, clocked in at 43 minutes. Exactly. And to me, that's, a really good length for a record. I think you go anything over that in the 50, 60 minutes, and it tends to get a little kind of drags. I mean, mm. I, maybe it's it's the the idea that more is more. I think it's sometimes it's it's less is more. And you pick the best songs, you make it really compact, and you want people to come away from that listening experience thinking, wow, that was really good. Instead Wait, of it just going on a little too long, you know? You're right. I like your approach. 40 to 43 minutes and it's all quality and I want to come back for your next album. Then I yeah. think you're doing your job. Yep. Pretty much. Pretty much. You don't want to overstay your welcome as it were. And maybe that's my, my issue with how much music has been released with this album by Taylor Swift is that it, it kind of overstays its welcome. By song 11, I think that I was pretty much done. I was sort of like, okay, that's that's good. But I wanted to spotlight um, some of the songs that I thought were were quite good. Back to December, I thought it was a nice twist on the, on the Jilted Lover. Uh, this time she kind of flips the perspective of, of the one who is jilted to the jilty. It's a kind of a, I'm sorry for being a horrible person. That's really the sort of the big theme of that song. And if we were to get back together again, I would try to treat you differently. But she has this lyric in there that says, you gave me all your love and all I gave you was goodbye. And it's like, oh, oh. 
dang, just stick the knife in. You really did. And then the the title track, Speak Now. So if you ever saw the movie The Graduate, you remember Dustin Hoffman crashing the wedding of the woman he was he was in love with and screaming, Elaine, Elaine. Right. Around the window, right? Or on the something in the church. And you yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah, so yeah. Stop her from marrying the wrong guy. Well, Speak Now is kind of like that. You know, it's a it's a good song. I, I think a, a couple more songs on the album are a bit more powerful, but that's kind of my take on on those groupings of songs. So I lob it back to you. Madison Cunningham, ultimately I, what I took away from this record was a couple of things. Yes, my son Brett and my friend Ted were right. It's a compelling record. It's got some unique stuff going on. It's it's that uncomfortable feeling for the listener that you noted in your review of the record. Yes, but to be honest, I, I wasn't uncomfortable enough not to want to hear it two or three times. So mm-hmm. the overall impact on me was, yes, it's a style and it probably takes some getting used to. Then I started thinking about why do I need to get used to it? What is this, the bigger picture that you talked about when you pitched me this whole idea in the first place? Mm-hmm. What is wrong with me? What is my problem? Why do I not not only seek these different tunings and different time signatures out and whatever, there may be some clue in, in the book that you mentioned at the top of the cast, you know, the way our brains are wired, but right. I can tell you the way my brain is wired as a musician, as a kid born in the mid sixties, growing up in the seventies, listening to AM radio in the first part of the seventies, and then becoming a guitar player and a drummer in the later seventies and wanting to replicate what I'd heard and play the kind of music I loved. And I realized that I have a deep seated love or maybe obsession. That's a strong word of the blues based chord progressions that a lot of the music you and I loved as kids is based on. And by what I, what I mean by that is there's E A B E chords. I almost want to grab, yeah, just guitar. grab the guitar. When you hear familiar chord progressions, like And you hear them everywhere. You hear them in every Tom Petty song we love. You hear them in every ACDC song we love. The idea of going in a blues pattern, which is you start in E, you go to A, sometimes you end up in B, you know this, or sometimes D, and it always resolves back to a happy. If I don't hear some semblance of that in a song somehow, some way, whether it's in the harmony vocal, whether it's in the guitar line, something like that, I tend to go, oh, it's hitting my ears the wrong way. And that is not the fault of the Madison Cunninghams of the world or Taylor Swift for that matter. It's my problem because I've noted it. It's not getting better as I get older. I'm not, I'm not getting more experimental. I tend to keep gravitating, whether it's a new song or an old classic that makes me feel good. What you were talking about, what's ear candy or comfort food, right? Yeah. Comfort food, musical comfort food. If I don't hear those chord progressions, I tend to lose interest Hmm. and I'm not sure what the fix is, but as I said, admitting you have a problem is the beginning of your road to getting better. (laughs) Hi, I'm John Young. And I yeah. am a, what would you call it? Yeah, I'm a blues-based cordaholic. A cordaholic, blues-based cordaholic. Hi, John. Hi. Yeah, listen, um, I, I'm sorry I keep playing You Wreck Me by Tom Petty. I know I need to listen to some other stuff. I'll try. I'll try to put an augmented, you know, sus4 F minor in that thing, but I really just prefer my my root notes there. Uh, thank you. Um, I'll see you guys next week, okay? I don't mean to trivialize it or to make it that simple, but I think there is something stuck in my head where I feel 
more comfortable. I don't know how else to describe it, Ted. When I hear a chord progression that resolves in a way that I'm used to resolving, and these are blues-based resolves that go back to the beginning of the blues and popular music, the Delta blues from the 30s that migrated their way, you know, around the world, and people, of course, stole those ideas and you know made popular music as we know it. But without some of those little ear candy points, I find it harder for me personally to get with the program with augmented strange tunings, different chords that are just weird because they can be. But then again, I give you a lot of credit because you're my age, yet you are so willing to go outside of those blues-based chord progressions and find other stuff. But listen, Miles Davis was doing this weird stuff in the 60s and you picked up on that. And to me, it was like, well, I just kept walking away from it and, you know, just give me more, I don't know, give me more of the Archies. I don't know what's wrong with me. I want help. You need to listen to more heat pump is what you need to do. <clears throat> Could we hear it one more time? Or is that's probably wrong. It, it might be wrong, but I'll, I'll play. I just, <laughs> I'm just going to write some I chords for you. I little heat pump. It keeps me very warm. I love my little heat pump. From dusk to dawn. My little heat pump. Heat pump. <laughs> I was playing a little bit on GarageBand and I was trying to find sort of like craft work sounding things. And I did find something. It's like, boom, boom, boom. Evil, cold, concrete, hard, awful. Oh, yes. Absolute, absolute German, you know, just very, very much like, yeah, yeah, yeah. This is very funny. You are so funny, John. You are just so funny. Humor here. We are trying to make some music that's good. So if you can stop with your chuckling and maybe pick up that synthesizer, let's see if we can make some good stuff, huh? Yes, the problem with you Americans is that you, you laugh too much. Why are you crazy? Are all of you crazy? Is that your problem? Uh, we do, we are not thirsty. <laughs> oh, you're fire! It is it is dwindling. Yeah. <laughs> you're just a weird guy, and I love you, and I appreciate you. But do, do you are you are you picking up what I'm laying down, or am no, I just throwing out like no, a, a simple right. that I'm ignoring great music? I don't want to ignore cool new stuff. But I think what I need to do is I somehow have to get over the idea that not everybody writes everything in a, where there's blues resolves, blues chord Mm -hmm. progression resolves and good for them. We need, we need new stuff. We need new progressions, whether they're blues based or whatnot. I just know based on my history and based on what I've done musically and what, what is now kind of worked its way into my musical DNA I don't know if the book would help me, but that that's, that's what is, there's my roadblock. That's what I struggle with when I look for new music. You don't struggle as much, so you don't have this, the same level of, of uh, a problem that I do. There's something about those chords that you played that resolve themselves in such a way that's pleasing to our ears because they're not minor chords. They're, they're major chords. And if you played all minor, it would have a different feel to it. When you have Madison Cunningham doing these sort of, I don't know, dissonant type feels, it makes you uncomfortable. And I think you like music that makes you want to feel not necessarily comfortable, but it makes you want to feel like you want to embrace it. Not not like you're like, ooh, this is going to be like homework, you know, and this is, this is serious music or something is uncomfortable here or something dark is going on. Well, and I think that you can still have, have a minor chord that still resolves with another minor chord but doesn't scare you that's scary it doesn't make sense yeah but that does so there's ways of of it's i think it's the resolve when there is no resolve that i'm used to hearing or my brain is not used to connecting with then 
what happens is I don't necessarily hate it, but I tend not to connect with it. I need to find that sweet spot where I say, keep trying to connect, keep trying to connect. There's something good there. There's great playing. There's great writing. There's great lyrics. Like you've talked about with Taylor Swift. Mm -hmm. There's something good going on there, John. You've got to fight through that. And I think I'm not the only one. I think there's other, and musicians are guilty of this as well, to keep pushing for that connection. Think of the bands that we've uh, we've talked to on this podcast over the years. Dirty Honey comes to mind right away. Right. These guys were so in my wheelhouse, I couldn't stand it. And we, we interviewed them several times. They were they were always charming and fun. But these are Les Paul Sling and Marshall Stack, you know, four four on the floor songs about love, you know. And it's it, it it worked every time. And maybe because it harkens back to that era where you've got that blues progression resolve that just you know makes Daddy feel warm and fuzzy. Yeah, they they are scions of the Black Crows and Guns N' Roses, who are scions of Led Zeppelin, you know, so it's a, sort of that great chain of rock and roll being, if you will. So I wanted to well. just spotlight a couple more songs from, yes. from Taylor Swift's album. Uh, one is called Dear John, a song that's supposed to be about her brief relationship with John Mayer. So Taylor described it as her most scathing song. There's a little drama about this song upon its re-release. So John Mayer posted on Instagram an image of one of his concerts with a message that looks almost like fireworks. It says, please be kind. It's a reference to a lyric in the song, Dear John, that said, but I took your matches before fire could catch me. So don't look now. I'm shining like fireworks over your sad, empty town. Wow. <laughs> this was it. She's got some drama going on there, right? She's very worldly for someone who has, it feels like to us doesn't have the bona fides to back it up necessarily, but she does. I mean, yeah. So let me talk a few more songs. I'm not going to go through every single song on this record. The, the big country single was called Mean, and it's basically a pop country song. It's okay. It's a bitter ditty about an angry person. But the two songs that I really thought were quite good, and they're my favorite tracks on the record, track seven and eight. Track seven is The Story of Us. And it is about a breakup, but it's so well done. It's got a great soaring lead guitar break. It's different from the kind of songs that Taylor Swift is known for. Like you know her her vocal inflections and some of the things that she does for hooks and so forth. But the story of us is it's a different vibe. And then there's a ballad that's really quite lovely. It's called Never Grow Up, and it's my second favorite track on the record. And I'm listening to this, and I'm thinking, huh, so she wrote these songs between 18 and 20 years old. This sounds like a person that's going through a midlife crisis at 18 or 19 years old. I thought that Time Stands Still by Rush, which Neil Peart wrote when he was probably like 40, 41 years old. I'm like, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. That makes sense. You want to stop, take a look around. Children are growing up. feel like you're getting over the hill and that sort of thing. But she's writing the song about not wanting to grow up, wanting to have that safe space of being a child and, and everything's okay. And you're realizing that at some point uh, you're going to die. You know, all this is going to go away. And I'm thinking, that's pretty dark for a 18 to 20 year old. But then again, I had some dark thoughts at 18 to 20. And apparently they're still there because I write songs like Heat Pump. So there. <laughs> I, I absolutely agree with you there. I really believe that Taylor Swift may just be an outlier, just an incredible writer who's able to tap into a, a zeitgeist that that other 18 to even 25 to 30 year olds don't quite have their mind wrapped around. She's mm -hmm. It's not just 
the great wordplay and the great combination of you know adjectives she uses and and in, you know inverts and does this and that. It's the vibe behind them. Just like you pointed out, what other 18-year-old, yes, we all had dark thoughts and we all had, you know, this and that and relationship breakups, but man, I mean, she crystallizes things in a way that are, it's kind of generational talent. I mean, I, you know, I hate to sound like a full-blown Swifty, but I, I, I really believe that's true. I'd love to get somebody on your podcast who has done sessions with her, you know what I mean? Played bass on a particular record. I wonder right. what it's like to work in the studio with that level of I mean, you want to call her genius? I'm comfortable with that. She's getting to that point. I mean, just the, just the sheer amount of work, the sheer library she's got to look at and, and present to the world. I'd love to know what it's like to be the drummer on a session. John, you are a drummer. that You'd appreciate the song Enchanted because it's, well, one, it's a good adult contemporary song. I think it's just sort of a standard AC kind of song. But I picked up on something kind of unusual for a song of this type, a sort of adult contemporary country song. And that there was this unusually busy drum fill that was more of like a hi-hat fill that I thought was kind of cool. I was like, who does this on a song? I saw, oh gosh, what was his name? Louis Belson and a couple of other drummers at a drum clinic. And this is back when I was trying to learn the drum. So I'd go to drum clinics and listen to these sort of really talented drummers talk about things. And and I think Louis Belson was, was brought in on a session. He started the clinic by playing a really just like all these great fills and just going all over the kit and everything. And he stopped. Everyone's applauding. goes, thank you, thank you, thank you. I just wanted to let you know, if you're ever a professional drummer, you'll never do any of that. Here's what you will be doing. <laughs> right. And then he was just playing sort of standard 4-4 time. He yep. said, that's what most musicians want from a drummer. They don't want this busy stuff. They want the sort of locked in the pocket kind of thing. So when I hear on this Taylor Swift album, this unusually busy fill on the hi-hat, I'm like, hmm, some drummer got one in and it got past the producer. <laughs> they really liked it, you know? Or maybe Taylor Swift is, it, we, we're not even giving her enough credit when it comes to maybe her arrangements. You know what I mean? Maybe she said, you know what? I, yes, we could put another steel guitar on this next country song I'm going to do. Or we could just let this dude rip it out on the Les Paul and, and do some of the, I mean, she's got some pretty good lead work that I've heard over the years yeah. that she's had on some of even her pop hits. And I, mm -hmm. again, I just keep thinking she may know something the rest of us don't. You know, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm impressed. I, I appreciate you bringing this to my attention because obviously on my radio show, we play a lot of Taylor Swift. We tend to play the hits. Mm -hmm. We've got such a huge catalog of them that sometimes I'll sneak in something that isn't exactly programmed, but is still available to me. So I'll put that in there. And it, I know, don't tell anybody except all the listeners to this podcast. But anywho, it's uh, there just just the sheer number of just in, in an FM radio availability, the song she's got. It's probably a page and a half. You know, there's a lot to choose from. Yeah. And I'll pull some songs into there every now and then that I haven't heard in a while, but were obviously hits. And you think that's an arrangement that isn't typical of just a flowery pop. We'll just leave mm -hmm. it at that. Mm -hmm. And she she may be onto something. I think she's got something. I think she's going to ride this wave for a while. I think this, I think this kid's going to go places. Why? I think so, too. so you want to get back a little bit to Madison Cunningham? What did you? Let me ask you this. What did you think of track five, which is called Life According to Rachel? And this was a very slow, almost waltz-like song. And it's my favorite on the entire Is that record. your favorite? I was going to yeah. ask you which one yeah. your favorite is on this record. I could not, and I didn't, maybe I should have Googled why the spelling of Rachel is so weird. I think that's um, the way but, her grandmother spelled it. That's a song gotcha. about her grandma. I don't know that it was my favorite song on the record, but Life According to Rachel fits into that category for me, mainly because of the timing, because of that waltz-like feel to it. Um, she's not afraid not to do 4-4, four, four, and you got to give her credit for that because 
that takes a musical background. You're not just a songwriter. If you know that you can do things in seven, eight, and four, four, and you know, six, four, and other weird stuff, you've got a background in music. I'm a fan of that song. And my favorite song, I, I still think, was Hospital, that of, mm-hmm. of the, the tracks. And maybe that was because of the Sheryl Crow vibe, but uh, that's my take. I did like the song. So if you had to step away and tell somebody about this experience, and you said to them, I, well, I spent a lot of time with this album called Revealer by young song, songwriter, young to me, Madison Cunningham. What would you say? I would say, listen without prejudice. Oop, I stole your idea. I would say, depending on who I'm talking to, if I'm trying to sell one of my younger colleagues on this thing, they're probably going to go, oh, I already have that record. I'm trying to sell somebody who's a little bit more like myself, maybe my my bandmates in Vino Banditos, John Taylor and Randy Walker. If I were to, to try to sell him on this record, to get him to listen to it all the way through and not just, hey, listen to two seconds if you don't like it, get rid of it. What I would tell him is, will you listen to the way that Madison Cunningham wraps the guitars, the vocals, and the lyrics into a package? I don't know that I came away from this record going, God, that drummer was amazing. Or wow, that bass line was killer. Oh, well, she put some horn parts in there I really liked. I liked the, the combination of the different types of guitar tone and the way she played them. The different tunings were fine. The tempo changes were fine. I would try to sell it as a package experience. This is an album where each song has got its own little story. The titles will kill you. They're amazing. And uh, I'm a fan. I, I would walk away from this saying I'm a fan. I, I'm not going to discard this like that was a fun exercise. I'll never listen again. So in that way, uh, I thank you and I thank Brett. We often stream albums to sample them. If you were to go to a record store, would you buy the CD? I don't know if I would buy the CD. I got to tell you, though, this experience with this Madison Cunningham record revealer does make me want to go listen to her other stuff. Will I buy another album of hers? or stream the whole thing like I did here. I can't promise on this podcast, but okay. if you have me back, I can give you the answer. <laughs> There's a tease. Teaser. There you go. My marker is if you stream it and you've come back and you seem to be listening to it a lot, just go out and buy it. That's kind of my rule of thumb because sometimes you never know. Maybe the streaming service will change. They'll have a licensing agreement fallout. And next thing you know, the album is not available. But if you actually own it, it's yours. And then you can go back to it at any time. And sometimes if if you just have it as a physical product, whether it's vinyl, whether it's CD or God, why? Cassette. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> what is this useful for now, huh? <laughs> I don't know, but they're popular again. But wow, you know, you have the physical product. It's almost like you're making the effort to listen to it. Whereas if you just put it on your phone, it's it's like um, I guess it's like that old Seinfeld joke where it's not what's on, it's what else is on. You know, it's him in channel surfing. So, <laughs> so uh, I would say yeah. coming away from from my experience with Speak Now Taylor's version, which had 22 songs on it or has 22 songs on it. Is something I said earlier, which is an album of this magnitude of how many tracks are on here will please, absolutely please super fans. They'll never get enough. You, she could have put 32 songs on here and it probably still wouldn't have been enough. But from my listening perspective, I like more compact albums. So I think by track 11 or track 12, or even, you know, just getting to maybe 12 or 13 tracks, and that's about it. That should be it. You shouldn't have to say anymore. The deluxe stuff is a nice to have, but put your best songs on there. Make a casual listener want to hear more. When I listen to this album over and over, and I listen to it probably about 
four or five times from start to finish. I just found that there was fatigue that was building in. And so what I tried to do was break it up. So I said, okay, you've listened to the first 11 songs. Now listen from song 12 to song 22 and see how that album plays out. And then what I found was that the vault songs, while okay, and some of the songs that came on the deluxe edition were okay, I didn't feel they were, as, they were as strong as what was on the first part of the album. So I just felt like it kind of fizzled towards the end. And that's not a criticism so much of Taylor's songwriting as, and I don't know if she's making these business decisions or whoever's making the business decisions to put out so much product, like way too much music for casual fans. So maybe it's not for casual fans. Maybe this is all for the, like the super fans, like my daughter. She just loves this record. She like gets really deep in the weeds on the lyrics and just immersed. And everything that I used to do at her age with songs and albums that I absolutely loved then and still love now. So I think just to bring it full circle, that this is your brain on music. You know, when you're in your mid twenties, things the walls start to go up, but they don't just go up like, like a like a Star Trek barrier or, or a force field or something. It <laughs> gradually builds up. I feel like she is in a time of her life, and same with your your sons and your daughter. They're in a time of their lives where they are very open to new experiences, new music, and so this is the time when these records make a big imprint on them, and so. Flash forward to when your children are in their late 50s, they're probably going to go back to albums like Revealer and and things like of that era and say, wow, these were really good records. Why don't they make these anymore? <laughs> That's a good point. I mean, I, I, I hope I'm around to see that happen because it'll be fun to watch that full circle. And I'll still be in the background, you know, doing ACDC covers. I think before we wrap anything up, Ted, mm-hmm. I do have a chord progression I want to throw out for Heat yeah. Pump just to see if you... You know, again, just maybe copying from Tom Petty, just something, Heat Pump is great, and the German AI voice is terrific, but it's got to have something behind it, you know? I mean, Have I inspired you, my friend? Have I inspired you? Your fire is dying. (laughs) Heat Pump. You're so weird. I love you, though. I know. I love you, too. John, it's been a blast having you on the podcast. Dude, I love being here. You know that. I just love getting the chance to to like chop it up with you. It is always fun. And I will tell you this in all sincerity. I always learn something from you, Ted. You have been a music aficionado since you were a little kid. You're obsessed with it. You do deep dives. You come up with perspective. You interview people who are just interesting human beings to add to the conversation, add to the soup. And I, I always just appreciate what you do on the Planet LP. Hope everybody realizes the gem they've got here. Don't lose Aww. it. Thank you, John. That means a lot to me, really. And I love having you on. Well, again, thank you for doing this little experiment with me. It seems like you're tr- you're going to try. You're going to try to push the boundaries a little more. Yeah, I actually am. I, I And I sincerely mean that. This was, not only was it fun to do the experiment, but I'm also, it's an ode to my own kid who loves Madison Cunningham and, and loves what I would call like a little more avant-garde music than I do. And it, it brings us closer. There's a lot of good that came of this, including the new chord progression to heat pump. A lot of good came of this podcast today. Let's be honest. This will be a very interesting German sounding song with that sort of that blues chord progression. <laughs> just can't get it out of my head, man. I just can't. I'll try to try to work it into the bridge somehow. 
Okay. Thank you. John, thank you once again. And thank you, dear listener, for listening. I'll be back soon to talk more about music right here on the Planet LP Podcast.